Welcome to episode 33 of Contested Catch. We're back, folks. We're back with some fantasy football for you today. We've been doing a lot of NFL draft coverage, uh, you know, the past couple months, just since the draft. But now we're finally into fantasy football season and the swing of things. Today, we're going to be talking our 2020 fantasy landscape, the way we're seeing uh, the position group shaping up. We're going to be talking some early love hates. And of course, I'm joined by our co-host and data specialist, Jeff Gould. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Will, I'm doing great. No, I hit the uh, perfect ratio on Twitter this morning of 69 retweets and 420 likes. So, no, it's just a great day to be great. You know what? That's a really, really nice thing to add here at the start of this episode. So proud of you for that accomplishment and glad you got the screenshot. Uh, also, oh, I had to document it. No, you had to. Absolutely. Um, good stuff. So we got the fantasy landscape here for 2020. We're going to take a look at this. We're going to focus mainly on running backs and wide receivers in this episode. Obviously, those are the two most important positions in the game. So starting with running backs. You know, they're always the premier fantasy asset. No, no one's surprised by that, even in PPR, because they are just more rare to be really good uh, relative to wide receivers, which is generally a deeper position group. Now we're seeing them valued even higher this season. And Jeff, a lot of people are discussing zigging this season, including very strong push for zero RB or mod zero RB. Uh, and we're going to talk some late round breakout RB candidates to keep an eye on later in this episode. But for now, Jeff, why don't you discuss what the zero RB or mod zero RB strategy is like and what its alternative is other end of the spectrum? Sure. So zero RB is a strategy in which you draft zero running backs for the first three to four rounds, uh, depending on your league format. Usually you basically draft wide receivers or maybe even a tight end until you filled up all your wide receiver and flex spots. And then you go for uh, more higher upside running backs um, afterwards, and you really play the waiver wire aggressively with running backs during the season. And I mean, really kind of like the thesis behind it, or part of the thesis behind it is that the real NFL running backs don't matter, even though they're crucially important to uh, fantasy success because they don't actually matter in the NFL, you really just pick up whichever ones are going to be starting for the week. Um, last year was an absolute dumpster fire for the zero RB strategy because it really never emerged that like league winning waiver wire running back throughout the season. You got Wayne Gallman for a couple weeks and like that was it. Um, so it was just a really bad year for the zero RB strategy. And also like, Aside from Michael Thomas, the wide receiver position scoring was pretty flat. The drop-off between a low-end wide receiver one and a high-end wide receiver three didn't even offer you like a huge scoring advantage. Meanwhile, to win your league, you basically needed to have one of Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler. Um, so like the the Bell Cow running back was really kind of a crucial um, key to winning. So this year, um, there's been a huge over possibly overcorrection into the robust RB strategy, which is hammering three, maybe even four running backs in the first three to four rounds. And um, so there's a few reasons. One could be that's an overcorrection or overreaction, but the other is also there's a lot more uh, defined running back ones this year than there are in the past. Uh, but it's up to the point where there's now 30 running backs going in the first 60 picks of the draft so like in a 12 team 
league, we have 30 running backs going in the first five rounds. Uh, so uh, there's really like uh, polar opposites this year for draft strategies. You have zero RB on one end, which seems to be dying out, or the robust RB, which is the meta strategy this year, of just hammering running back as strong as you possibly can. Yeah, so um, in, in, in years past, I've been a robust RB guy. And, you know, to our credit here at Contested Catch last year, Jeff, our number one player in fantasy was Christian McCaffrey. That's who we said should be the number one overall pick in every single league. He was seen as probably a consensus top three guy, but I saw him. I literally got him at the fourth overall pick in multiple leagues in best ball. Uh, it's completely unacceptable for people to have missed that, in my opinion. But um, alas, and then two other guys that you mentioned that were that were necessary to win your league, basically, were Derrick Henry or Aaron Jones. Those are two guys that we were big on here at Contested Catch. So proud of that. Uh, Austin Eckler is uh, the love child of one of our uh, frequent guest Michael Kazor. Yeah, and like so, like, and like as an example, though, last year if you went CORB, Austin Eckler was the perfect CORB guy to draft in like the sixth or seventh round with the uncertainty of Melvin exactly. Gordon. So like that's how the strategy can turn out. Um, but really, if you didn't, if you went CORB and didn't draft Austin Eckler, like you were kind of screwed in terms of getting a running back that could be a difference maker. Absolutely. Um, good stuff. So yeah, you know, the running back situation is, is going to be something to monitor, uh, in terms of, you know, where these ADPs move, if people start to shift more, uh, generally towards zero RB, I doubt it. Honestly, I think that there's going to be a lot of panic and fear driven drafting early on to try to secure those top two running back spots, maybe even three. Um, this is a good year to zig as a lot of people have said. So moving on to wide receivers now, Jeff, the way I've described this position group is kind of a changing of the guard. We're seeing wide receivers with typical top five or top 10 appeal, like OBJ or DeAndre Hopkins, otherwise known as Nuke, dropping a tier or two below that in lieu of fresher names like Chris Godwin or Calvin Ridley in some cases. And we know uh, one of our next guests is uh, a huge fan of Calvin Ridley, and we're hoping to discuss that with him. But there's an enormous amount of young talent primed to take over the fantasy landscape of wide receiver. I'm talking A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.J. Moore, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, D.J. Chark, a lot of D's and D.J.'s, Cortland Sutton, Michael Gallup, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, the list goes on. I mean, I'll be dipping heavily in that pool that I just described there. Um, but Jeff, I mean... We're seeing a discount on consensus top five, top 10 fantasy wide receivers in years past going into 2020. Is this something you're going to be capitalizing on uh, or are you really going to hammer some of these these younger, fresher names? No, I think it sort of just depends on how the draft falls. Um, so like at the top of the draft, say Julio Jones, he's 31 years old, but he is in a position to absolutely smash this year with... Um, a really concentrated target share and what looks to be another top five passing volume offense. Uh, and then there's say Adam Thielen is currently going at the back end of the fourth round. You know, he's coming up on his age 30 season. He was a little banked up last year. So I think that's kind of giving some fancy players a little bit of uh, fantasy PTSD, but he's just going to be an absolute target uh, hog. And I mean, he's only, it was only 2018 when he was the wide receiver one, like nine weeks into the season. Um, so there's another player that, uh, you know, veteran that I think you could really get a discount on. 
Now there are maybe some others that might actually be a value value traps like AJ Green was last year. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think there are a lot of ascending young wide receivers. I love AJ Brown. I mean, I've seen him kind of compared to Terrell Owens, which is a huge compliment. But like I see it, and uh, you know Marquise Brown, he was very banged up last year, but uh, I mean he's super, like extremely poised for that second year breakout. Um, I mean, several other players that you mentioned. So, um, yeah, I think it really is sort of a young man's position right now, but you can also, like you said, you can't take advantage of that and find the value with somebody like Adam Thielen. Yeah, no, very well said, Jeff. Um, I think we're we're looking at a very uh, interesting situation because we're obviously, as we've talked about, you know, COVID's impact on the 2020 fantasy season, we could see some of these younger guys who don't have really, really established rapport uh, with their quarterbacks, maybe struggle early out of the gate, even if they're second or third year guys, uh, if they have a new quarterback, like in the in the case of DJ Moore, how uh, well will he match with T- Teddy Bridgewater early on? We don't know. So maybe we should be um, really pouncing on some of these slightly discounted veterans like a Julio Jones, like you mentioned. Um, moving on to tight ends and quarterbacks here. We're not going to focus on them long. Um, you know, as we already mentioned on tight ends, the, the message here is clear and it's very different from years past. And that is that it is so, so deep in the tight end position this year. I've been talking about it on Twitter at contested catch. If you haven't seen that, we're looking at guys like Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst on the uh, Falcons now in the number one tight end, uh, Ian Thomas, number one tight end in Carolina now. All late round options with legit appeal. And I think we should be all waiting on tight end as late as possible in non-tight end premium format. And that is because that Taysom Hill, yeah, if he's got that that position flexibility. I think it's just ESPN, but I mean, hey, kind of, he would have been like a tight end 11 last year if he would be upside. Yeah, I mean, uh, bottom bench guy uh, to keep your eye on for sure. And then in quarterbacks, you know, I guess the the Taysom Hill uh, <laughs> shout out really worked here for a transition. But per usual, wait on quarterbacks. You know, we've seen everyone's like, oh, but Lamar. Yes, but the point was Lamar in 2019 was coming outside the top 10 in most drafts. And you got him and he was the, the highest scoring player in fantasy. Again, per usual, wait on quarterbacks. I love Dak and Kyler this year. Wentz after them. Josh Allen's probably a top five option with the running upside. Don't sleep on Tom Brady as a QB1 option with those weapons. Daniel Jones has talented weapons that are all healthy right now and even better offensive line and has that rushing upside. So again, the quarterback position is deep and let's not forget that when it comes to draft day. All right, moving on to the guys that we love and starting with the running back position. Number one for me is Miles Sanders and right with there with him in the same tier is Joe Mixon. They're both running backs poised to vault into the upper echelon of the position group. That's really what I see. Um, for both of these guys, they have very well, they have different situations. Uh, Joe Mixon obviously gets Joe Burrow, who's an upgrade, I believe, right, right from day one on Andy Dalton from a fantasy perspective. I think he's going to have an aggressive nature. And not only that, uh, we see healthy offensive linemen return to the Bengals up front that that will help Joe Mixon, who really turned it on in the second half of last year. People are going to uh, hope I, I doubt really remember how good he was despite the terrible situation, but AJ Green is back healthy. They drafted T Higgins. They've got Tyler Boyd and John Ross. This is a pretty stacked offense. So Joe Mixon's a guy that I like uh, to to pick that up. And obviously a really talented guy, all three phases. Another uh, point there is Gio Bernard is pretty washed. Uh, 
Um, and then obviously with Miles Sanders, we're looking at a guy who's extremely talented, has that draft uh, and capital investment that we're looking for. He was their preferred downfield threat. Now, out of necessity, but still, he proved his chops as a pass game running back. He proved his chops as a pass protecting running back. And it looks like he's going to get three down commitment, even if they sign a veteran running back. Moving down to a later tier, two guys that I like, the Davids, that are both post-type sleepers, respectively, uh, David Johnson and David Montgomery. They're both volume-based but have pass game utility despite uh, a probable running back by committee situation. Both get the best quarterbacks of their career, with David Johnson now getting Deshaun Watson and David Montgomery likely getting Nick Foles as his starter. This bodes well for both, and their volumes are pretty secure. The question will be, if the Texans are trailing like we kind of expect them to be a lot, will David Johnson be uh, an every down pass running uh pass catching running back or will Duke Johnson really split that work with him and on the other side David Montgomery is he going to see a lot more uh, running back touches to Tariq Cohen or is he really going to take over as the pass catching running back and Tariq Cohen going to move into the slot with the, the release of Taylor Gabriel so that's something to keep your eye on as well and then Jeff I'll let you talk about this class of running backs here we've got J.K. Dobbins Chase Edmonds Alexander Manis- Madison uh you know, for various reasons, they're all really interesting late round running backs that have uh, RB1 upside in the event of of their, you know, elder running back facing some sort of absence for whatever reason. So J.K. Dobbins, Chase Edmonds, Alexander Madison. Yep. So I'll start off with the rookie J.K. Dobbins, uh, second round draft pick for Baltimore this year. If you've been living under a rock, um, came out of Ohio State. And he's got, well, he didn't actually test at the combine, but uh we know he still has fantastic speed and breakaway ability. So he's entering the Ravens offense where he's uh, currently projected to split the load with Mark Ingram. But I think there's a real good chance that he takes over as the lead back. um, Like at some point this season might not be until, you know, week six or seven, sort of like what happened with Miles Sanders last year. But if he does that, uh, we saw what Mark Ingram did last year and he was at RB one and, I think Dobbins could easily do that, especially in the context of the offense with Lamar Jackson opening up so many rushing lanes by holding defenders on the edge uh, with Dobbins burst that like, I mean, Ingram's a great physical runner, but Dobbins just has that young burst and speed that Ingram doesn't have anymore to just hit those creases and break off huge chunk plays. Um, so I, I really like him that at that point, and especially in a keeper dynasty league, Mark Ingram's contract expires this year. So next season, it's going to be all J.K. Dobbins. And I mean, he's not just like RB1 upside, but the RB1 upside uh, in 2021. Chase Edmonds, um, you know, he had one monster game last year, uh, like 30 something points when, uh, you know, Cardinals came out and said that David Johnson's going to be starting. Or yeah, they said he's going to be starting. He played like one play, and then it was just the Chase Edmonds show. He went off for thirty something points, and he was a huge waiver wire get. And then it turns out he got injured, and they went out and got Kenyon Drake, who then proceeded to be the number five running back for the rest of the season. So right now, everyone has Kenyon Drake penciled in as, as a starter. You and I personally aren't that convinced Drake is uh, anything more significant than Chase Edmonds, and that possibly even Edmonds could take over as the lead back um, or at the very least split the workload and that Drake won't just be like, um, won't be the workhorse. 
In which case, if he takes, if Edmonds were to take over this lead lead back, he has uh, easy RB one upside. I mean, whoever, if you took the weekly running back one in the Cardinals offense last year, it's the running back five on the season. It's just a fantastic situation for the running back. Um, and even if he ends up getting like a 40% workload, that's not a bad RB2 floor. Um, Alexander Madison, um, we have differing opinions on his talent level. But yeah, if Dalvin Cook does decide to hold out, I mean, Madison flashed in spots last year and he has lower end RB1, RB2, or higher end RB2 upside. Um, you know, if Cook misses time and Madison's just feasting on that volume. Of course, on the similar note, I have to mention. Uh, Mike Boone, who everyone was uh, juicing up for their uh, running back in week 16 championships, and he laid a giant goose egg of like three points. But then in week 17, I mean, that entire team just sucked that game. Week 17, Boone actually like had a huge game. So don't let that week 16 goose egg uh, sour you on him. If there's anything about Dalvin Cook legitimately missing time, um, you should be scooping up Mike Boone late um, as well. Yeah, well said. And, you know, in the same class of characters, probably going to be more heavily inflated because he's just a bigger name, despite not really doing a whole lot, is Tony Pollard. Uh, definitely a guy that you should have in best ball because he's going to have games where Zeke gets rested because they're blowing a the team out because this offense is so good. And Tony Pollard's going to come in and probably put up 100 yards and a touchdown. He did that last year as well. Um, well said, Jeff. And moving on to wide receivers here. There's a, a bunch of tiers that I have a lot of interest in and starting with towards the top, you know, within the top 10, but outside the top five is Juju Smith-Schuster and Adam Thielen. They're both volume kings with proven rapport with their quarterback in a shortened offseason. That is something that I will be looking for because although it's, you know, sexy to look at, you know, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and that, that potential connection with Kyler Murray in Arizona, we haven't seen it come to fruition. We haven't seen the way that they plan to use him. Whereas we know Juju Smith-Schuster is a lock for 150 or more targets. Same with Adam Thielen, uh, at least we think. And both players are really talented and have done it in the past. Sure, a lot of our listeners have been seeing the Deontay Johnson hype. And you know, he had a good rookie season. I'll absolutely give him that. But there are people saying Deontay Johnson's going to overtake Juju as the Steelers wide receiver one this year. Uh, first of all, Deontay Johnson is older than Juju, despite only going into his second year while Juju is going into his fourth year. Listen to this. At age 22, Juju Smith-Schuster had 200 more yards receiving in the same offense than Antonio Brown. At age 22, Deontay Johnson was still catching passes at Toledo. Like, I like Deontay Johnson. You're seriously telling me that this guy that he, uh, you know, older than Juju and less experienced and not as talented is going to serve in my opinion, at least definitely not as talented. It's going to supplant him as the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. No, not happening. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think when you're thinking about it from a fantasy perspective, we're looking at the different values, you know, Juju's probably going to be a uh, third or fourth round pick at least he is right now, which is foolish. He should be in the second or third round range uh, or early third. That is, but Deontay Johnson, yeah, he's got a ton of hype. He fits the mold of the type of wide receiver that Pittsburgh drafts and excels with. But is he better than Juju Smith-Schuster? Is he a better bet to succeed in 2020? Absolutely not. I think that's completely ridiculous. Um, I think he could be really good. And then when we've seen Big Ben with a pass volume that should return in 2020, uh, like it was there as the best uh, or the highest volume pass offense in 2018, 
um, it, it can support more than one wide receiver. So more on Deontay and, and Pittsburgh's situation a little bit later, but well said, Jeff. On to Robert Woods in Los Angeles with the Rams. Similar situation to Juju and Thielen where he's going to get a lot of volume. And now with the absence of Brandon Cooks, Josh Reynolds steps in and he's he's done pretty well in, in, uh, in other players' absences in the past. But Bob Woods is being criminally undervalued in drafts yet again this year. He's a really good player. He dominates in the middle of the field. He's got big play upside. He gets rushing work. And he's probably uh, one of the safest wide receiver twos with wide receiver what's up one upside every single week. Moving down the tiers a little bit more, we've got guys like Debo Samuel and Will Fuller. Uh, Debo obviously was a guy I was huge on pre-draft. I was big on as a rookie last year. Uh, Debo's poised to be a wide receiver one in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan as his play caller and a highly efficient offense, rushing utility. He's going to be a stud. I mean, it's basically, it's him and George Kittle and then a whole mess of, of other things behind him. Uh, in terms of weapons. Um, and then with Will Fuller, he's the wide receiver one now in Houston. He's uh, He couldn't be riskier. <laughs> you know, there, there are few wide receivers that are riskier than Will Fuller on a weekly and season-long basis. But when healthy, he has top five wide receiver upside every single game. He has he has top five, like, fantasy week of all time upside in any given game. Yeah, he, yeah absolutely. Uh, and we saw that in 2019. Week five, which was absolutely huge. Was it like best, wasn't it like the best game since Terrell Owens in 2001 or something like that? Something ridiculous. It's four touchdowns, over 200 yards, 11 catches, I think. Um, absolutely absurd. And that was with DeAndre Hopkins healthy and in the lineup, by the yeah. way. So Will Fuller should be on your radar. Yes, he's risky. But if you've already if you're going zero RB, I mean, Will Fuller could be the, the flex piece for you that puts you over the top uh, any given week. You um, mean moving you down mean a little bit. RB? No, if you're going zero RB. I mean, you've already gotten safer wide receiver options early in the draft. Yeah, I guess. And I'm thinking if you go zero RB, your wide receivers are going to be filled by the time you get to Will Fuller's like ADP. Filled in terms of starting, but I'm saying him as a, as a high upside flex play. All right. A similar type of player is Marquise Brown, who's obviously an electric downfield threat. There is some hype that has cooled a little bit this offseason and something I'm really excited about is that Marquise Brown says he's finally healthy. His foot finally feels like it like it used to when he could really take off and fly. He's arguably or in the conversation for the fastest player in the league. We never got a 40-yard dash from him, but the, the, the speed on tape is evident. The year two arrow is pointing up, and he looks like, honestly, the most obvious breakout candidate in the league with his health, plus Lamar Jackson coming off his MVP season. Sure, he's due for regression, but... Marquise Brown is due for positive regression, I think, and should be healthy going into the season. That bodes really well for his stock. Uh, lastly here, we're going we're gonna to end with some rookie wide receivers. And I know we've talked about avoiding rookie wide receivers generally in this, in this, uh, in this draft year. But Jalen Regor and CeeDee Lamb might be the exceptions to the rule. And the reason is different. Jalen Regor uh, is an every league target of mine. He has a legit chance to beat Carson Wentz's top option. That includes thinking about Zach Ertz. Uh, the rookie risk is real, but Jalen Regor is super explosive. He can be a downfield threat. He can be a yak monster underneath. He could see well over 100 targets if he does claim that role early on. And Carson Wentz is a really good quarterback. Let's not forget that. And there's really not that much else going on in the wide receiver department in Philly. 
CD Lamb should absorb Randall Cobb's volume and do more with it and also be a heavier red zone target um, going into 2020 than Randall Cobb was in 2019. Sure, there's Amari Cooper, but Amari Cooper isn't guaranteed any money in 2021. So would they start to phase him out? Probably not. But CeeDee Lamb could overtake Michael Gallup as the true number uh, wide receiver two in that offense, whereas Gallup gets relegated to a more deep threat role. Who knows? The point is CeeDee Lamb is really, really damn good. And I bet on talent with a great quarterback and a great system uh, with CeeDee Lamb. Jeff. It's time to talk about guys that we don't love, guys that we hate at their current value or their current price. And starting with running backs here, we're looking at a guy like Kenyon Drake that we already talked about. Kenyon Drake is has never been the lead dog, the true committed running back one in any offense he's been in for a significant period of time. And Yes, maybe that is a product of situation, some other talent. I mean, I think he probably should have won out in Miami. Maybe it was the coaching. The point is, he's going as if he's going to hit his ceiling. And yeah, that ceiling is top five overall player based on what we saw last year. But Chase Edmonds looked really good. They have not committed to Drake long term. They transition tagged him. I'm not sold that Kenyon Drake is an RB1 this year. Josh Jacobs. Jeff, Josh Jacobs. We know how good. This guy is in terms of his talent, very explosive, very talented, best rookie running back we saw last year. And yet he's not getting committed to in any sort of pass game role. Uh, they they doubled down on this. But they re-signed Jalen Richard. They drafted Lynn Bowden, who they listed as a running back, who's got multi-position utility, but is looking like he's going to be a pass game uh, running back option for the Las Vegas Raiders. So Josh Jacobs, to me, I mean, unless you're in a standard league, and he's falling. I think he's probably not, I'm not going to have many shares of Josh Jacobs. It doesn't look like he's going to get that pass game work that is requisite for a top 10 running back. Um, well, so, I mean, last year, Derrick Henry was top three running back uh, with like no receiving work. And Nick Chubb was still top 10 with very little receiving work. So, I mean, Jacobs can still definitely be a top 10 running back. And I, I don't really have an issue taking him in the early second round. At least definitely in standard and half PPR. Full PPR is a little bit of a different uh, conversation. Um, and, I mean, yes, their actions are that, like, hey, we're, we're signing some of these, you know, receiving, like, backfield uh, or, you know, running back in the slot threats. But then they're also saying we still want to get him involved in the pass game. So, um, you know, when it comes to just like workhorse running back work and, you know, and getting handoffs, it's really tough to find the volume that Josh Jacobs is going to get. So even if he doesn't get the uh, passing game work that we really want to help reach that ceiling, I still think his floor uh, makes him a really stable and safe draft pick kind of at that you know, early second round where he has to be going. So I really, I don't hate him at his ADP. If he were to start climbing into the back end of the first round, then yeah, I, I would, there's other players I'd rather take there, even though it doesn't sound like a huge difference between early second and late first. Uh, it really, like it is because, I mean, it's just a steeper drop off in the early picks compared to later on. Um, but I, I really think his value is pretty fair right now because they're factoring it, uh, the market seems to be factoring in the receiving production or lack thereof that you discussed. 
I mean, he to me, he's in the same kind of tier as uh, that I'm seeing at least as uh, Miles Sanders and jo- Joe Mixon. And considering they're both loves, and then he's in the same tier, and he doesn't have that pass game upside, uh, at least I don't think. Then to me, he, he's going to end up as a, as a hate right now at least. And um, to point to Nick Chubb and, and Derrick Henry, who are in my opinion exceptions to the rule. I mean, these are ex- these are the two best pure runners in the game, probably maybe with the exception of Saquon Barkley. Um, pure runners, they they don't need the pass game upside. They don't get it, and they don't need it. Um, but you know, Nick Chubb's getting discounted as well because of Kareem Hunt's presence. So I don't think that uh, it's entirely safe to take Josh Jacobs expecting an RB one production. But, you know, difference of opinion. And he's, you know, like you said, he's he's not priced as a as a true, true running back one in all leagues. So that's fair. Um, a guy that I mentioned that I was touting that, you know, was proud of uh, having as a love last year was Aaron Jones. Unfortunately, he is a hate right now. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Aaron Jones is just it just can't happen again where he's going to score, you know, close to 20 touchdowns. Um not only that, but the pass game usage, something we're talking a lot about for these running backs, uh, for Aaron Jones, centered a lot around the Devontae Adams injury. So that's we're not something we're projecting this year. So uh, when you also factor in A.J. Dillon's being drafted in the second round by the Packers um, and Aaron Jones being an impending free agent in 2021, I'm not thinking Aaron Jones is, is primed to repeat as a top five running back in 2020. So... Some people are thinking he's a steal in the early second round or mid-second round. To me, I probably would consider him in the third, but I don't think I'm going to get him there, and I'm just happy letting that one slide. Jeff, we have a difference of opinion on Le'Veon Bell, and I see a lot of red flags you know, related to the LaMichael Pirine draft pick, Frank Gore signing, uh, some of the verbiage used around Le'Veon Bell's role. Whereas they committed heavily to his volume last year, who's one of the most heavily used running backs in the league last year, similar to Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell did not produce even remotely close to efficiently. And I don't necessarily necessarily see the situation getting that much better for Bell. I think it gets worse. So um, I know that you, you feel a little differently about him. Sure. So, I mean, right now, Bell's going like back end of the third round, which I, mean, I don't think it's an extreme value, but he had just like absurd volume last year that is just really hard to find. I mean, it, it is sort of like a similar case that you make for Leonard Fournette, except Bell is a better player. Um, like last year, the offensive line in New York was just awful. And uh, I mean, they did go and make some up or at least attempt to make upgrades. They brought in a bunch of free agents. Uh, but like last year, Bell, he had an 87% snap share, number four in the league for running backs. And uh, I mean, 78 targets, 246 carries. So like, the volume was there and it might drop down a little bit, particularly as a, a share of the offense. But I mean, consider that, like, I mean, Luke Falk and Trevor Seaman were quarterbacking for like five or six weeks last year. Um Darnold should be elevating that offense to also uh, uh, boost that touchdown total. From he had four touchdowns last year, four. Well, he should probably be seeing closer nine or ten touchdowns given the amount of volume he had. So you know, with an improved offense, now you have an extra, you know, six touchdowns. That's another thirty-six points that you can. Thirty-six points is like makes up three hundred sixty yards. So 
I don't think he has that league winning upside where I'm, um, you know, absolutely hammering him at the three forward turn because like, I don't expect the offense to be that good. But I think he has a solid floor with like, you know, lower end RB1 um, production in his range of outcomes that I just, I, I don't hate him where he's going. You know, like I said, back end of the th- third round or early fourth round. I mean, if, especially if I say I like, started, if I'm in the early fourth round, I went running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, and Bell sitting there at the early fourth. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really could see myself taking him there. It's a fair point. Uh, I mean, he's in, getting drafted around the same time as Juju Smith-Schuster. So to me, that's a no-brainer. Go with Juju regardless of your team makeup. Um, I just don't think that offensive line got that much better. I don't think that he – I think he's a shell of what he used to be. So I'm not drafting based on the name there. I think the the there are warning signs about the volume. And I also think that the volume that he got is not the type of volume – we want volume in the high-leverage situations that produce you know good fantasy outcomes. Getting – you know, 20 carries a game, but then coming between the 20s and not being an efficient player is going to yield like a 20 carry 65 yard game. That's not what we're so, looking for. I, so would you rather have Le'Veon Bell or Melvin Gordon? Gordon's another guy I'm not really interested just, just in. Off the top of, just which one, though? You have to pick one of them. I'd go Melvin Gordon. I All think right. he's better than Le- Philip Lindsay. Le'Veon Royce Bell Fruit. or David Johnson? David Johnson. Le'Veon Bell or Chris Carson? Carson. Okay, so yeah, so you definitely are lower on him than uh, I guess the guys in that draft, the running backs in that draft range. Whereas I would probably take him over. I definitely take him over Gordon, and probably take him over Carson, and probably David Johnson, just because I think Johnson is toast. So, I mean, I think I, you know, I guess we. You know, just differing. I mean, I yeah. I agree with you. I like the wide receivers in that range better, but I think within the actual running back rankings, I I think he's slightly slightly undervalued. That's fair. Um, going on to wide receivers that that I'm not necessarily a fan of. We're starting with DeAndre Hopkins. I already mentioned him. Um, it just fits the profile of a guy that I think is going to be overvalued compared to what we can expect in the first half of the season. I mean, he's going to get. Uh, He's going to get a new quarterback and a new system to learn, and he's not going to have a lot of offseason to work with. Now, Nuke is arguably the best wide receiver in the league, still in his prime. Kyler Murray uh, looks like an ascending uh, year two quarterback. Will that translate to success in the first half? I don't know, but I, what I will tell you is even though he's not a love for me on draft day, he is a love for me as a potential buy low come week four or five. If I am correct that 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 production does not match the hype, I think DeAndre Hopkins could be a really intriguing buy going in towards the the midway point of the season. Mike Evans is another guy that is getting a new quarterback. He's staying in the same system. We saw him absolutely eviscerate some defenses and lay absolute duds in others. Now, Chris Godwin is going to be the more consistent option between the two and should be the higher drafted wide receiver. Jeff has been on Chris Godwin since the guy was born, it feels like. So kudos to you, Jeff. Mike Evans still has the higher upside on a week-to-week basis just based on the role that he plays in that offense. I mean, he's a guy who could have 200 yards and three touchdowns. And not that I not that I think Chris Godwin is incapable of doing that, but that's just not the way that he's used. Now you add Tom Brady's somewhat of a noodle arm at the moment, uh, you know, as a, what, as a 43-year-old. Um, so is Mike Evans going to really excel in that role in Tampa Bay? I'm not sure. Uh, another guy that is 
up there in years now in terms of just, you know, for skill, skill positions, especially when you think about his health and uh, not very age-defying health, that is, uh, T.Y. Hilton. He gets another new quarterback, Jeff, Philip Rivers. Now, I would usually say that T.Y.'s profile and Philip Rivers' style of just chucking it deep um, in a lot of cases would mesh pretty well, but T.Y.'s body is just failing him. And I know we're going to talk about some of the alternatives to T.Y. and the skill position groups in Indianapolis later, but T.Y.'s already said this is going to be his last contract in Indianapolis, um, or of his career, rather, and I'm not going to buy into this guy. I know that he's probably coming at a discount relative to where you could have gotten him last year, and I'm okay with being wrong on him. I don't want the injury risk. I don't want the new quarterback risk. I don't want the young guns coming and overtaking him and his role risk. So to me, I'm off the T.Y. Hilton train if I ever was on it. Jarvis Landry uh, keeps his quarterback. First one on this list that that is uh, having some continuity in that realm, at least. Jarvis Landry is another guy I've, I've kind of undervalued um, perhaps in years past. And this year, I feel pretty comfortable with it. Now, obviously, the Browns are... are uh, potentially entirely a, a post-type sleeper offense. I don't know yet. We'll see. But Jarvis Landry, to me, does not fill the role of a wide receiver two that I'd want, and he kind of gets priced like that in a lot of cases. Last but not least, Brandon Cooks, new quarterback, same sticking with the trend, uh, terrible, terrible injury risk, unfortunately. And this is not, you know, the injury-prone label is cast around too much. The point with Brandon Cooks is that he's one concussion away from being done, I think. I think he probably should already be done for just caring for the guy. I've been a fan of his uh, personally, and he's really good. The problem is he plays a very physical sport, and it's very likely that if he catches the ball over the middle, he's going to get clocked. And at this point, it doesn't even take a big hit or a dirty hit to raise concern. I don't want to deal with that every week from a fantasy owner perspective. Uh, I will not be on the Brandon Cooks wagon. And and Jeff, something you've talked about is that we're looking at some uh, the 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 skills of the wide receivers in Houston and their skill sets are pretty uh redundant you know Will Fuller's a deep threat Brandon Cooks deep threat Kenny Stills you get the picture uh I'm gonna much rather take my chances on a uh higher rated or um you know higher valued Will Fuller and probably a lower valued Kenny Stills over Brandon Cooks that's just me Jeff any other guys that you are off of going into 2020 for sure right now um, well, I just want to elaborate on Jarvis Landry a little bit that he also played last year with a hip injury, uh, and he ended up having surgery for that in February. And I believe it was a hip labrum, which you know, shoulder labrum is about four to six months. The hip labrum though, per, uh, particularly because it's weight bearing is six, a not nice six to nine month recovery. So if he had that in February at the lower end, six months means he's hitting on the field if uh, training camp in August. Um, even though I actually kind of like the way that offense sets up with a condensed target distribution between Odell, Jarvis, and Hooper, not dissimilar to what was and Hunt. Uh, yeah, and Hunt is sort of like your uh, you know almost slot guy. Yeah, um, or receiving back, but it's, so it's not dissimilar to what we saw Diggs and Thielen and Rudolph do in uh, Minnesota and Baker you know, operating off the play action like Cousins did. So I, mean, I don't hate it. And on your point about how you think you kind of undervalue Jarvis, uh, I mean, Jarvis has been like a, up until really like he moved to Cleveland, he was a pretty inefficient just compiler in mm -hmm. Miami. 
And he really actually wasn't, um, you know, he was more efficient than running the ball, but in terms of like passing and receiving, his efficiency was like very low. He just compiled like low, um, low value receptions. But, you know, that's changed a bit in Cleveland. And, um, but yeah, because of the injury risk, I'm just, I just have a tough time uh, getting on it when he might not even really be like hitting his groove until November when you're already in the fantasy playoffs. But well you won't said. be, but you won't be in the fancy playoffs if you drafted him that high. Probably. Well said. Um, all right, moving on to our last segment, Jeff, and that's the bottom barrel breakouts. Triple B, triple B rated. Um, we're gonna start with running backs big here. Big baller and brand. Big baller brand, if you will. Um, TM. Um, starting with running backs here, these are guys that we are saying bottom barrel breakouts. They have uh, a very low cost to acquire in drafts, but have a very a real chance to emerge as a breakout player in their position group. Pretty obvious. Uh, starting for me is, is Ryquel Armstead. I've been a fan of Leonard Fournette, mainly because of his usage in Jacksonville and the commitment that comes with a top five pick at the running back position we expected. Now, his time in Jacksonville looks to be up very soon. And Ryquel Armstead... Um, is very likely to be the next in line in Jacksonville. He fills a similar type of role that that um, Leonard Fournette does. And now he may not get the same kind of upper echelon usage, but there's a chance that he could overtake him as soon as this year, especially if Leonard Fournette uh, you know, gets shipped off by the end of the season. And I kind of think that that is the most likely outcome is that he does not end the year on Jacksonville's roster. Another guy, similar, similar situation, A.J. Dillon. Like I already mentioned, he's a uh, uh, second round pick. He's got that that investment that we're looking for. And A.J. Dillon is also um, a talented downhill runner. He's not a great pass catching back, but that but neither was Aaron Jones, I don't think. And, you know, he's provided pass game utility. So I think that A.J. Dillon has a chance to seize a really sizable role. Maybe the, the Jamal Adams uh, situation uh, could could turn into A.J. Dillon's role, but we'll see. Um, and Jeff, I know you've got two here that you want to talk about for bottom barrel breakouts here. Yep. So the first one is Damian Harris. I was on him a little bit in the pre-draft process last year. Uh, I really, I, I didn't think the gap between him and Jacobs was as big as it was made out to be. And the Patriots went ahead and drafted him in the late third round. But between him battling some injuries last year and it being a crowded backfield in New England, he just didn't see the field. So now Sony Michelle is like still injured. It's crazy. He's entering his third year in the league and it sounds like uh, his body's already broken down between the degenerative knee last year. Now it's a foot injury. Um, I think there's like a legit chance that Harris some, basically becomes the number one least ball carrier in New England. Um, I guess I think the ceiling is just going to be capped because I expect that offense to be trash, but I don't know. I could see him as like, you know, 15th, 16th round pick providing, you know, excess returns and being able to plug in as like an RB2 here and there. And the other one is Zach Moss. This is not a homer pick um, because I like always fade Bills players, but he's super cheap right now. Devin Singletary is being drafted in like the fifth round or so. And I, I'm actually just not even convinced Singletary's better than Moss or going to continue to be the lead back for Buffalo. So 
Um, again, I think Moss's ceiling will be capped by being in a committee, but I do think by, you know, week six, seven, eight, he could um, overtake Singletary as the lead back in Buffalo and being uh, the bigger uh, guy, he's going to get the like red zone and goal line work, which should give him more touchdown upside than Singletary. Of course, Josh Allen's style of play and willingness to run the ball. Um, it's, you know, it's the Cam Newton effect though, where they steal touchdowns from their running backs. But uh, you know, I, again, I think he is in a great position to um, you know move up on the depth chart and um, exceed his draft position. I think you're right on Zach Moss. I think Damian Harris is not going to be a guy we're going to be able to get. Uh, very cheaply uh, once everyone catches up to the the Sony Michelle situation. Um, will he outproduce his draft stock? I'd say the chances are very good, yes. But how high will that draft stock go? We'll see. Moving on to bottom barrel breakout wide receiver types. First one is a guy I've just been smitten with since he was a prospect going into last draft. Um, Jalen Hurd. Not Jalen Hurts, not the quarterback. The wide receiver, if you remember him, former Tennessee running back. This guy's 6'5", somewhere around 230, something like that. Um, he's likely to play a big slot role in San Francisco. And keep in mind, behind Debo and George Kittle, there is not a lot there. I mean, there's Kendrick Bourne. There's Dante Pettis. There's now a rookie, Brandon Ayuk. I think Jalen Hurd has a very decent chance to be a uh, the number two wide receiver on this team. And if not that, at least play the big slot role. Now it's 6'5 and athletic. Uh, I think this guy has a good chance to be the re- be a red zone weapon. George Kittle has not historically been a dominant player in the red zone, maybe because he gets focused on. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but there's a chance that Jalen Hurd could be uh, a top one or two red zone option. And this is where it gets really fun. Jalen Hurd, is, again, played running back at Tennessee, and he was good. He was really good. Uh, running back. I mean, he's downhill player. He's nothing, nothing exceptional. But now that he has the receiving skills, there's a chance that Jalen Hurd could be lining up in the backfield in goal line situations or just, you know, short guarded situations or maybe even who knows what Kyle Shanahan decides to do. The point is Kyle Shanahan does not historically commit to any running back because of any reason other than the hot hand. Jalen Hurd could sneak in there and be an has an outside chance to be uh, have running back utility as well. Jimmy G has an easy schedule, an efficient pass game op- uh, offense overall. Opportunity is there next to Debo Samuel. Now, another guy is Preston Williams. He popped on the AOC a whole lot last season before his injury, and he's frankly the best wide receiver in Miami. D- don't just think about Devontae Parker's first-round pedigree. Uh, he out-targeted overall and in the red zone both Devontae and Mike Gusecki when healthy last year, and that bodes very well for Preston Williams, uh, who has a chance to see – uh, an improved quarterback situation if and when Tua Tagovailoa takes over. Nikhil Harry is a guy who uh, has a similar situation uh, in a sense to Preston Williams, where he's probably going to be the top option. I mean, Julian Edelman probably out-target everyone on that team, but Nikhil Harry is, is, has a better chance to have the high-leverage situations where he is a, uh, a red zone threat for New England. His, his profile fits that really well. He should be a target monster next to Edelman. Now, the quarterback situation is the real concern here. It's murky. Uh, currently, Jarrett Stidham is the, is the starter, and I think there's a chance, a good chance for Cam Newton to get signed. We'll see. So, Nikhil Harry, a guy to keep your eye on. And then, not last, but before I let Je- Jeff jump in here, is Mecole Hardman. And Kansas City 
There's a difference of opinion here, basically. They brought Sammy Watkins back. They restructured his contract. And he obviously has it has the upside on any given week to go off. I also think that his downside is palpable. Uh, Mikael Hardman, on the other hand, was first in the NFL in yards per target as a rookie, third in separation. He's a Tyreek clone physically. Sammy Watkins is not signed long-term. He's still young, but I'd guess he's not in the long-term plans for Kansas City. And the real question mark with Mikael Hardman is just volume. Now, if Sammy Watkins gets more or less phased out or injured again, like we've seen almost every year of his career, um, then that volume no longer becomes a question mark and becomes legit. The talent, situation, and efficiency are not question marks for Michael Hardman. It's someone I'm really excited about as a bottom barrel breakout type for wide receivers. Now, Jeff, I know you want to make a case for Sammy Watkins here. Yeah, so I think the case for Sammy, it's part of it is similar to the case for Nicole Hardman that you're going after the hopeful wide receiver two, right? You know, the third receiving option for the Kansas City Chiefs, the best offense in the NFL. And he's wide receiver 56. So, I mean, there's like guys going ahead of him or around him are Sterling Shepard, Justin Jefferson, Anthony Miller, Golden Tate, Robbie Anderson. He has a much higher upside than all those players. Um, you know, I think, you know, the issue is, you know, as, as uh, Davis Maddock has pointed, is the having Sammy Watkins Martingale theory for um, you know for draft or DFS, where like you just have to play him in a couple lineups every week because like you know at some point in the season he's absolutely going to go off. You know, like, a couple times a year basically isn't an ideal strategy for season long. But I mean, I just really like the player. I think I'm, this this is actually more of a homer take than my Zach Moss pick because of Sammy's time back in Buffalo and. Um, you know, just on a dynasty perspective, I think he's actually a really good buy low because like you said, the Chiefs are not committed to him long term, which means after the season, basically he can go and sign somewhere as the wide receiver one or you know, like a uh, higher end uh, like, like number two receiving option, whereas he's at best going to be the number three receiving option for Kansas City. The case for, the case for Hardman is equally as strong. I just, I have to get my Sammy takes that's fair. Um, all right. So last one for me here is Chase Claypool. If you don't know the name, I don't blame you, I suppose, but I will shame you a bit because I talked a lot, a lot about him as a prospect before uh, the draft this year. He goes to Pittsburgh as a second round draft pick. That's strong in, uh, investment here for the Steelers who typically do not take anyone higher than that. Um, remember Martavis Bryant in Pittsburgh with Big Ben? Yeah, me too. Unreal efficiency as a deep threat and big in a big Ben led offense. He was an athletic straight line freak. And guess what? Claypool was that and then some. He has like Calvin Johnson level athleticism on the straight line and vertical planes. Uh Claypool will fight James Washington for deep looks. And James Washington maybe start to starting to come into his own as a deep threat. Maybe. He showed well despite terrible quarterback play. But uh I still think Claypool is a much more talented player and fills that role better. And then there's Eric Ebron who uh, is added to this offense who doesn't, who, who's basically, yeah, he's got veteran status over Claypool, but also hasn't played with big Ben. So to me, Chase Claypool has a chance to win deep looks and or red zone looks in this offense. We saw Martavis Bryant do some seriously cool stuff in this offense uh, led by big Ben many years ago, albeit, but still as a rookie, eight touchdowns and only 48 targets Six touchdowns on 92 targets the next year. The point is, if his if if Claypool's range of outcomes is somewhere in between that um, for 2020 as a rookie, I feel pretty good about about his prospects to out 
uh, perform his draft position. He's not even being talked about in most circles. Jeff, I know you want to wrap up our bottom barrel breakouts for wide receivers with two last guys that we're both excited about this year. Thank you. The first one is Denzel Mims, or as a good friend of Michael Kazor calls him, Denzel Memes. Uh, second round draft pick for the New York Jets this year. He has a great athletic profile. Compares uh, physically, actually compares very similar to Chris Godwin. And indeed. Um, so you know, we're just looking at the possibility that he takes over as the wide receiver one in New York with Sam Darnold, and he gets you know more or less force-fed volume, and with his athleticism is just you know able to have like a solid season. Um, I mean, there's like aside from Jameson Crowder, there's no one else to really throw the ball to, unless maybe Chris Herndon uh, breaks out like later than expected. But yeah, so you're basically looking at a combination of athleticism and uh, like situation. And I mean, as the young rookie, you're also hoping talent. And then the other player is Paris Campbell. Again, another uh, top tier athlete uh, going into his second season, who, but he was injured a lot last season. Um, so now he has a new quarterback, uh, you know, upgrade to Philip Rivers, who also loves the underneath stuff where uh, Campbell really thrived at Ohio, uh, sorry, the Ohio State. And uh, so, you re- so here you're looking at like rivers kind of feeding the underneath the, you have T.Y. Hilton aging. So it's probably not going to get the volume he's used to. And then between the underneath stuff uh, and scheme, Campbell's athleticism will also just, again, you're hoping it just takes over. And on a similar uh, note, I suppose we should mention Michael Pittman Jr. Um, wasn't, I thought he was overdrafted from an NFL standpoint, but just from a fantasy perspective this year, it's, again, it's a good situation. He is an older prospect, which uh, dynasty-wise means he probably has a lower ceiling, but just from a you know, single-season redraft, it also kind of like raises his floor and increases the chance that he produces right away. So um, you know, I think we should mention him just in a similar breath with Paris Campbell. Yeah, uh, you know, we're talking about all young guys. All of them are playing with the quarterback for the first time um, with all the, all three of those. But they're, I mean, I'm not as big on Michael Pittman. I know some people are huge fans of him going into the draft. I'm much bigger on, especially for redraft in 2020, Denzel Mims and Paris Campbell. So I'm right there with you on them. I think the opportunity is there for both to emerge as the number one weapon in their respective offenses. Uh, and, and that's exciting. You guys, you can get at the very end of the draft. All right, Mr. Jeff, that does it for episode 33 here. We talked about the fantasy landscape in 2020. I hope you guys all got a good picture of the way we see things at least. And we also talked about a lot of our early love hates. I think we put a ton of good content out there today to put a lot of people on on our listeners' radars, uh, especially if you are drafting soon, which I don't think you should be if your draft is coming up soon maybe talk to your league mates but also this is a really really good time of year to start to uh hedge some bets or make some bets in best ball so i'd encourage you guys to do that as well and you've got a great list of people to keep your eye on in this episode so that'll do it jeff any final thoughts uh no uh, i just said we have a couple of uh, really exciting guests coming on that we're uh, looking forward to talking to and you know picking their brains a little bit but also you know perhaps uh you know imparting some critical thought on their end as well 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Very excited for what's coming next in the next couple of episodes. Stay tuned for that. We appreciate you tuning in for this one and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.